0: restoration basics the preparatory podcast this is the number one podcast to get the preparatory gospel and the number three podcast for home restoration movement we are here with uh my fellow (laughs) co-host my name is sam jordison and i'm joined with my
1: two friends jason kane and andrew smith and we are going through oh i just (laughs) i was wanting to call out our competition (laughs) how are we third (laughs) Well, none of us. We're real any. bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I bet there's a lot of home re- uh, renovation podcasts out there.
2: Oh yeah. I don't know. No, I don't. Know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: we're Number really three
2: is probably a good accomplishment in that sense. <laughs> I guess.
1: I just want to move up in the ranks. It's out of four. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. that's any restoration based podcast is. <laughs> our competition is not too heavy. Um. We are going chapter by chapter uh, through
0: the Book of Mormon and discussing what lessons we can pull from it and talking about the story that takes place um, those many years ago. And um, today we are in Mosiah chapters 9 and 10. Uh, It's a good good story that takes place in Mosiah 9 and 10, and it's actually split up into two parts. But before we dive in, let's just, I'm going to ask Andrew to explain what happened last episode and... Um, and the previous chapters, kind of leading up. So, what brought us to uh, this point? What's the what's the stage been set like, Andrew? So
2: the stage looks like this. Benadai, or, or some people call Abinadi, um, comes to the king and says, "Hey, I have a message from the Lord." He starts preaching to him, and he comes to him a couple different times. They arrest him, and he keeps coming back. But this is the last time, and he and he's preaching in front of the king. Who's Noah, and then um, Noah's priests who are with him, who happen to also be not standard fellas—they're—they're they're bad guys. So he's preaching to them. Um, in chapter seven, he ends that with the Ten Commandments that we we all know. Uh, in chapter eight, he transfers our trans uh, transitions. Oh boy wow i don't know how <laughs> it took a while okay. but we got there yeah we got there he transitions into talking about specifically what the people in power had done to the people below them and and uh kind of goes after him pretty hard and then i mean com- contrasting that with the, the sacrifice of jesus really proving or showing his point that that they're being terrible to their people and as we're about to read, that that kind of angers the people he's talking to. But that's, that's where we are. He's made
0: people mad. Right. And Jason, if you want to just sum up what happens in these, specifically right now, because this is a little bit of a split chapter,
1: but uh, what are we about to dive into? Yeah, so in this first half of Mosiah 9, um, it jumps right into it, because in the first verse, it says... And then it came to pass that uh, when Abinadi finished these sayings, then the king commanded that the priests should take him and cause him that he should be put to death. So right there, Abinadi is going to be put to death here, but you also learn of, and we hinted at it on the last episode, but there's this man who is taking heed to these words and we're going to follow his journey from the execution of Abinadi on
0: okay and that man's name is alma alma senior or the elder or whatever you want to call him the only alma right now the only alma yeah there is Mm -hmm. no alma um
1: younger junior alma junior the younger
0: (laughs) (laughs) the second (laughs) so did you know that the second means there was a break in the line Oh, no. So, like, Andrew, if you have a kid named John and then that kid John has a kid named Andrew,
1: then he'd be Andrew Smith the
0: second. I see.
1: What if I want my direct descendant (laughs) to be the second? (laughs) I think you can add it in there. (laughs) All
2: right. So, would it be Jason the second junior or Jason junior (laughs) the second?
1: But then wouldn't that be Jason junior, like, two Jason juniors? Yeah, it's possible. (laughs)
0: Questions we'll get into on next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week. I just want to kick this off. So, we've, we've got the stage. We know what's going on here with Alma being one of the priests of Noah and hearing what Abinadi is saying to him and listening to his words, taking them to heart. And so, he's going to be uh, one out of many. One out of many being he's the only one out of many that takes heed to those words. Uh, but I'll just ask Andrew, you want to start off here. What um, what stuck out to you in verse four?
2: Verse four, um, it shows it shows what Alma thought of Abinadi. You know, he he just heard him preach to the king, and it had set the other priests and King Noah off. Obviously, as he's being sentenced to death, but it, it means something different to Alma, and you see that here in verse four because he then begins to plead for the king for Abinadi's sake that that he would just be led let go that that he would be able to dump heart in peace and i thought it was interesting you know it's he doesn't he doesn't argue that abenadai's right in this case i mean his heart was pricked and yet he doesn't argue that because i think he sees that king noah is (laughs) just he's he's not gonna be convinced he probably is familiar with his character enough that he's like well his heart's pretty hard right now and so what he just does is try to save abenadai's life He's not successful in that, but um, it shows what Abinadi's ministry meant to him. And and I thought that was important moving forward.
0: Mm -hmm. And so, Alma is actually grouped in with Abinadi now, who's about to die. And King Noah says, you know what? If you don't want him to die, you're going to die too. And um, sends his guards after Alma. And Alma's forced to flee. um, And he hides from the king's guards. And I found... um, just knowing what was behind it in those days, there was an effort to write everything down, you know, it wasn't like they had paper and pen. Um, but it says that he wrote, um, all the words which I had spoken to him. So the first thing he does when he gets away is to write down the words which um were important to him. That pricked his heart that Abinadi had had said. And um and that's all that Alma knows of Abinadi after that. Um He doesn't stick around and he flees into the wilderness. And so then the, we get the account of King Noah talking to Abinadi. And, um, what I found really interesting and, and it really shows King Noah's hand. I want you to listen to the, the crime that they accuse Abinadi. It says, we've found an accusation against thee and thou art worthy of death. Okay. So here's the, here's the charge against him. For thou has said that God himself should come down among the children of men. And, uh, now for this cause, you should be put to death. So the crime that they're charging Abinadi with is lying or in, you know, in quotations from their line, but they're saying he's lying about God. But then listen to this next part. This is what really shows Kinoah and his priest character, um, Now this cause you shall be put to death unless thou wilt recall all the words which thou hast spoken evil concerning me and my people. And I thought that was like, oh, (laughs) what a, like, Abinadi has to be listening to this and going, this is so crazy that, so the, the crime is that you lied about God and the redemption is that you say nice stuff about me. So, it's like... You
2: see what he's really in trouble for. <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, it was never about what God had said or, or yeah. that they were taking the scripture seriously. Um, and it shows uh, Noah's um, characteristics that eventually lead to his downfall, which is selfishness and pride, I thought was. For sure. Um, <laughs> like, I... I <laughs> I know probably in that situation that no one's thinking more beyond, hey, this is my own life and Abinadi probably is, um, while he has the the comfort of knowing that he was sent by God, that he's probably pretty, he might even be scared or, you know, doesn't really want to die. But um, I have to believe that when he was hearing this, that something came on in his mind and said, this is, okay, God, I understand why, how bad this people as is that. They only think about themselves and nothing about you. Um, and um, and that leads us into verse um, 14 and 15. Andrew, if you want to, or or sorry, Jason, you had something about Ben death.
1: Well, just a different perspective. And that's not to say I don't agree with what you just said, but say they were taking this very seriously and like, it was a they were like very much letter of the law to their own understanding of what of what this charge is like they're basically putting them to death for blasphemy and so if that was actually true just think of how radical just the idea of christ was to these people because God was just apparently pretty um, distant from a lot of society um, according to them. And the fact that anyone would say, hey, God's going to come down and just save you. Basically, they're like, nah, that's that's of the devil what you're saying right there. It's just interesting to show kind of what ideologies were kind of radical back in the day that we almost take for granted now. Yeah, well, it's interesting cuz um we know that Nephi
0: and Jacob and Lehi and like Enos and Abinadi all had knowledge like and they taught the people that it was um plain knowledge that Christ was coming back, but it's not funny, but uh I don't know what the word is that the people when they are wicked like King Noah revert to the same thoughts that the pharisees do in uh in jerusalem and in the old world um of just being like no that's not how it's gonna work this is silly or um not i guess even the pharisees had a belief in the messiah but yeah that it was still radical to their to their ideals
2: it on on the way down here where uh jason and i drove together and uh, we talked a little bit about comfort, and I think that's played out in, in the lives of everybody, um, but it's really easy to see in people like the Pharisees and these people as well, is that um, everybody's looking for comfort in, in certain ways, and for some people, comfort is found in the letter of the law. And so, um, the, whether they were like this in this instance or not, some people are that way, is that they find comfort in that, and in that in. In their mind is 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 um, what saves them, you know, and, and we kind of revert to that. Maybe not everybody because not everybody finds comfort in it, but those who do find comfort in it kind of revert to that if they're not careful. And, and other people revert to other things that they should be careful about as well.
0: Which lends itself to that the priests of Noah and Noah were very comfortable in their mm-hmm. current situation and anything that challenges that was an enemy to their Processes.
1: Yeah, yeah. people don't like their beliefs questioned. And here, it definitely seems like it was more of a, you know, we're putting you to death because you're saying we're bad people. But um, really, in the case of Christ, that's pretty much what it was, is that he was challenging all their beliefs and saying, no, I'm the way not the law is not the way th- your understanding isn't the way I'm the way. And Put him to death for it. And so they, as they're about to put um Abinadai to death,
0: um, he speaks to them and he tells them something. He says, Um, and that ye may know of, of a surety I have suffered myself that I have fallen into your hands. So he's saying, You know that I have given myself up. Because in the previous chapter, they try and lay their hands on him, and he just like um Gandalf the White is <laughs> super like they're not even gonna touch him because he's Um, he's shining bright and no one wants to get near him. He says, if you touch me, you'll die. And so he's telling him now, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to let myself be given up to you and I will suffer and I'll die, but I'll not, I'm not going to recall the words which I I said against, uh, said, sorry, I'm stuttering a lot, but he said, I'm not going to recall the words, which I said, and those are going to stand as a testimony against you. Andrew, what do you, what does that mean? how does how does that work in our lives today? what can we get from that or what can we learn from I'm Abinadi saying that, those things
2: um, you know I I, I I picked this out that I and I thought it was very interesting um, and I think I think it's still very interesting in correlation to Jesus being the word and him dying you know I, I mean Abinadi here is is saying that. My words are going to be a testimony against you, and and Jesus came to die, but he was a testimony, um, and and really are the person vouching for us, you know, and, and so it's it seems like very different cases, um, but Jesus was was this to people who didn't, who were like the priests of Noah in this instance. Uh, who who excluded themselves uh, he he used his life to be the words um that Abinadi spoke so that the faithful would have someone to vouch for them and the wicked could be where they wanted to not in God's presence you know like they they would have an excuse and and the words would condemn them and so i i found that I, I don't know if that made too much sense, but, um, I found that kind of interesting that the correlation between my words will condemn you. And then Jesus saying, I, you know, I, I am the word and, and his death and what it means for us. So, yeah.
0: Cause, uh, going on in 16, he says, if you slay me, so I'm giving myself up. If you kill me, you'll shed innocent blood. And this shall also stand as a testimony against you at the last day. So, um, them killing abinadi will also work against them and and be one of the reasons they're condemned um because they've killed innocent blood um and they do they kill abinadi um, if any of you guys have anything else about that you feel free to jump in but um i'm going to jump over to Alma. So they kill abinadi and i was talking to someone about this and they thought how um Kind of sad it was that um, in this life that I never got to see what happens with his words. Like, as far as we know, all he thought when he died was, "Okay, I preached to this group of guys, and the purpose of my life apparently is to stand as a t- testimony against them when they're to be judged." I mean, I tried to preach righteousness unto him; it didn't work. Um, he never gets to see the fruit of his own labor and his willingness to serve God and his willingness to be put to death. He never gets to see the fruit of that in this life. But the fruit of that is Alma and Alma flees. And he writes everything that Abinadi says down and he hides and he hides in the wilderness. And as he, um, as, as time goes on, he begins to go out and he begins to preach to people and, um, to share with them. And, um, um, the, these people really grab onto the gospel, um, which is, which is interesting and thought provoking because just a little bit ago, um, these people that had wanted nothing to do with Abinadi and they had put him, given him up to the king. And now they have Alma. Maybe that's, that's just the Holy Spirit working on him. Maybe that's them seeing with their own eyes, how, um, Uh, wickedness is not the way to happiness and, and seeing kind of the way the kingdom's going with under King Noah, but they begin to be more receptive of that teaching, which Alma is, is giving to them. And they um, camp out in this uh, place called uh, Mormon uh, and they are baptized and they begin to form a a church and a community. And I think it says the, First day that they all get baptized, there's about 250 people, um, and that slowly grows into 400. Um, but I really like this verse, verse 39. This is talking about those people who are coming into the church. It says um, Alma talking to them, preaching to them. He says, "Okay, people are coming in, and and I gotta tell them what what this is about." He says, "Now, if you're desirous to come into the fold of God, so you've seen what we're doing here. Um, if you're interested." This is this is what it is. To be called his people, if you want to be called his people, and you are willing to bear one another's burdens that they may be light. And if you're willing to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that need comfort and to stand as a witness of God at all times. Um, and he begins to kind of sum up what Abinadi's teachings was. Um, what do you have against being baptized? So you need to get baptized. Um, and I like this because it gives not just requirements of a repentant heart, but it um, fleshes that out a little bit and says, um, if you want to be called children of God, if you want to be God's people, then there are some requirements. And some of those are bearing one another's burdens, um, comforting people. This is not a people that are just completely selfish, um, prideful. It is the exact opposite of that. And so if I wanted to be one of, if I wanted to be baptized and Andrew was going through a hard time, or Jason was going through a hard time, then if I truly had my heart in the right place, I would comfort them, and I would mourn with them, and I'd say, what can we do to make this better? This is not something that we talk about today a lot in the church, because we're so excited when someone wants to get baptized that we're like, come on down!" <laughs> that doesn't mean we we just let anybody get baptized. I think there is an effort to to do pre-baptismal classes and and things like that, but I wonder sometimes if maybe the pre-baptismal classes have been so lessonized or so rote that we just miss the the main part, which is have empathy for people, have love for other people, and uh, and you can't lose that once you get baptized. So um, it's a call to us in our covenant today that we still need to have have that in our our heart.
2: I liked the um, the growth that we see throughout the rest of this chapter, as you said. Uh, Alma's preaching to these people, and and as as he starts to preach, he says he begins to teach the words of Abinadi, and then later it's, I mean the it's it, it's the gospel. It turns into the gospel or or God's words, you know. But at, at first, it's just the words of Abinadi, and so you kind of see that in Alma's mind, this is like, oh, this is Abinadi's church kind of thing, <laughs> where he's like, this is what he brought to me. And it, and and to some extent, it, it was the work of Abinadi up to this point, but it it turns into, more appropriately, the work of God, um, who was the one that was authoring the whole movement. So, I, I like to see that growth throughout this chapter as well.
1: Yeah, and what I like about the whole story in this is that we see kind of the power of that one person can have and the power of like one witness, one, one testimony can just have, because like Andrew was saying, Alma's just saying what a Benedict said and probably saying, you know, he died for this and uh, this was his message and um, which ultimately is the message that Christ will save them. And, um, you know, and come down to earth and be that sacrifice for them. And so this all started from, you know, obviously directed by God, but one guy, you know, just being a witness for all these people. And, um, you you think about that today and, you know, we, it's easy to start thinking about all that's wrong with the church, but when it, you really get down to it. Uh, if if you're sharing your testimony with others, then that's going to be the the biggest thing that you can do to grow the church and just, um, strengthen the church. And that's just share your testimony and share the testimony of Christ. Yeah. The next
0: verse that I had that, uh, or the next part of the story that I really liked is that Allah baptizes them. And in verse 54, he says, um, I command you that there's no contention one with another, which is really hard to say just because there's nothing you can do. I don't think to really um, alleviate tension because people are different and people are got two different persons in each of them and thoughts and processes and stuff like that. And um, it's happened before with each of the guys here. We've spent a lot of time together and there's always, <laughs> there's been times like we love each other, but you spend a week together and, eventually there's going to be contention between one of us or in another one of us. And, and so you say, okay, well, how did he, how did he get away with that? And why is he commanding them? He says, well, you're, you're supposed to look forward with one eye. So everyone's supposed to be looking at the same thing, having one faith and one baptism, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. And basically what he's saying when they have one eye is they're all focused on the, the same thing. And if you're all focused on the same thing, you can't be focused on each other. And I know we've talked about this before, but my problems when I have contention with either Jason or Andrew are usually because I'm focused on either Jason or Andrew or most likely me and how I'm feeling and what's wrong with, with my life and how my life could be better. But if I'm not focused on me, if I'm focused on um, on God, then usually the the con- contention's not there. That doesn't mean that it won't always be there because I think there can be times when you have contention with people who aren't focused on God, but that's where the one... One eye comes in. But anyway, moving the story along, um, they they camp out in this place called the Waters of Mormon, This and they grow, and they're baptizing, and Alma's preaching to them, and he begins to ordain people, and those people who are ordained begin to teach the people, and they have a, a really good uh, system going. And I'll, I'll hand it over to Jason now, because um, what happens is that spies begin to look um, from King Noah. He hears about stuff going on in his wilderness. (laughs) And so he sends spies to look after him and watch him. And uh, I don't know where Jason's going to go with his, his point. So maybe I just jumped over it, but feel free to do whatever, Jason.
1: Yeah. So I was just going to point out in um, basically uh, around verse 71, uh, some stuff around there. It's when yeah. King Noah is figuring out kind of what's happening and objectively this movement is a righteous movement like at the moment and they are just baptizing their you know their sins are being forgiven they're joining this church they have good leadership and so they're really just being a righteous people and it's kind of funny that that's when you know the wicked get the most worried and um that that's just what you see all the time is the the more righteous you are the more opposition you're going to come across because people don't like to be called out on their evil ways or um, anything like that and um, sometimes just the existence of righteousness makes you uncomfortable because you know deep down that you are sinful and and a part of you just wants to, um, it, what Andrew was talking about is um, the the love of comfort, and a part of you wants to keep that comfort where you're at, and righteousness is by definition calling you to be more than who you are, and a lot of people will fight against that.
2: It's not very comfortable.
1: Exactly. So, I, I just think that's an important point to keep in mind, and you can almost take it a look at that uh in the opposite where it's like if you're getting no opposition to any of the things you're doing in a pursuit of um god or anything like it's it's pretty obvious that you're going to have some sort of opposition we're told will be a peculiar people and um everything like that and and the world does not like righteousness so if if you're not seeing any sort of opposition in the world, um, maybe take a look and see where you might be going down the wrong path or something I, I don't know may, maybe I'm totally off base but there's just a thought
0: well they get so much opposition that they're forced to flee <laughs> into the wilderness um and and the priests and the king of Noah feel so threatened that they send an army after him and not I don't mean I think that's a good point uh, I hope you don't think I'm stepping on Or just saying, okay, good. No, I'm done. done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Ginoah sends his army after them, and they they go look for him. But Alma's warned, and uh, he tells the people that, hey, we got to go. And they go off into the wilderness. And uh, this ends the first part, or the first divide in this chapter 9. We mentioned before that chapter 9 is kind of two stories. And um, what you're going to see here is the second part of the story because we are now no longer focused on Alma. We are now focused on the people who are in the the city um, that King Noah reigns in, in the land of Lehi-Nephi. And what ends up happening is that the people begin to get a little bit divided over how they're being ruled. And they really don't like uh, how King Noah's ruling. And so a guy named Gideon... Um, is, is kind of a big man. And he begins to go before the king to slay him. And as he's fighting the king, um, the king looks over and he sees that the Lamanites are coming and he begs Gideon to spare him so that he can protect the people and lead them out as an army to battle the Lamanites and Gideon with the love for his people, knowing that and they do have a better chance if their king leads them out to battle and doesn't split and they're all fractured. He agrees. He says, all right, you can go lead the armies and we'll go fight the Lamanites. And I don't know how many notes we have on this section of the, the chapter, but um, they go to battle the Lamanites and it turns out that there's too many Lamanites. And so King Noah just says, hey, let's get out of here. <laughs> and so they start fleeing. They flee the city. And the Lamanites catch them, and they start to to slay them. And then Kinoah says, hey, we could get away a lot faster if we didn't have to um, worry about the, the women and the children and the flocks. And so, let's leave them behind. And some people say, no, we're not going to do that. And some people say, okay, which to me is terrible, but that's the wickedness. doesn't the make people. sense, but yeah. yeah. And so... Um, some of them stay behind, and those people that stay behind uh, have their their daughters and their wives and the innocents um, plead with the Lamanites. They stand in front of them and they say, "Please, please, don't kill us." And the Lamanites have mercy on those people. Um, it says they're um, filled with compassion. They do not kill those those people. Um, the other people that followed King Noah get a little bit get a little bit in the wilderness, and then they say, "What are we doing?" We literally just left those we care about in the middle of the wilderness to be slayed by the Lamanites. And uh, and this is the day of reckoning for King Noah. And they begin to be angry that he just ordered them as their leader to to leave the ones they loved. And so they burn him to death. He suffers the same death as Abinadi does. And going back into chapter um Or at the beginning of this chapter, Abinadi tells him, he says, you know, you're going to suffer the same way I do, by fire. And Noah's burned to death. And um, then the priests of Noah, um, they want to kill the priests of Noah too, and the priests of Noah escape. And this is, so, I hate to use another Lord of the Rings reference, I've been really into Lord of the Rings videos (laughs) lately. But basically what you have here is the Fellowship of the Ring broke up and there's like four three four different stories going on there is now three to four different stories going on in this part of the book of mormon it's very interesting to to follow and we'll try and keep you posted on what's going on um but just real quick i'm going to sum it up as best i can and i drew it out on my whiteboard just to make sure i didn't miss anything so back when nephi gave um and jacob were there they had sons and those sons carried the plates and kept the record And we get down to Omni, and all through the six authors of Omni, and the last author gives the the plates to King, um, Mosiah. And Mosiah, um, all these descendants of Nephi are living in the land of Lehi-Nephi. And Mosiah is warned in a dream to get out of that land, and he runs away. So he and his followers, who are righteous people, run away from the land of Nephi, and they end up in the land of Zarahemla. And they meet people in the city of Zarahemla who are also Jews who are descended from Mulek. And Mulek was a son of the king of Zedekiah or the king Zedekiah. And so he's a prince. And so this people took the prince and they escaped from the, the sacking of Jerusalem and they become the Mulekites. And so King Mosiah meets up with the Mulekites. They really like him and they appoint him their king. And King Mosiah has a son named King Benjamin and, uh, King Benjamin is a good guy, and King Benjamin, um, during his reign, there's a a guy named Zenith who wants to go find out what happened um, to the people in the land of Lehi-Nephi, whom Mosiah left. He says, hey, we still have families, we still have brethren over there, let's go find out. So, he leaves back to the land of Lehi-Nephi. And so, now you have two Nephite groups, one in the land of Zarahemla with King Benjamin, and one in the land of Lehi-Nephi with Zenith. And Zenith's son is King Noah. So, Zenith dies, bestows the kingdom upon King Noah, and he lives in the land of Lehi-Nephi. King Benjamin dies, and he bestows it upon his son, King Mosiah, named after his father, in the land of Zarahemla. That would be King Mosiah the second. King Mosiah II, exactly. right. <laughs> and now we're at a part where there's, um, after King Noah, this part of our chapter is... We're going to look at the at the people who did not run um, from the Lamanites, who said, had their daughters and wives plead with the Lamanites. And they're from King Noah's line, um, and his na- name is King Limhi. So, we've got like three different stories. We've got the, the people of Alma, who escaped in the land of Lehi-Nephi. We've got the people of King Limhi, who are also in the land of Lehi-Nephi. We've got the priests of Noah, who run away who escape, who are also in the land of Lehi-Nephi. And then we've got King Mosiah back in the land of Zarahemla, who's safe and sound with the Mulekites and the other Nephites. So, all this is going on. And so, for this part of the story, we're focusing on King Lehi, or (laughs) King Limhi, who is in the land of Lehi-Nephi. And so, um, the Lamanites agree not to slay the people who stayed behind. And they appoint King Limhi... To be their king, who's the son of Noah, and Limhi is a good guy. He's uh he knows that his father wasn't a wasn't a righteous man, and so he leads the people. Well, he's a he's a just man, and but one of the agreements that they come upon with the Lamanites is, hey, you didn't kill us, and the Lamanites say, yeah, you're right, we didn't kill you. So here's what we're gonna do: you're gonna pay us a tax over everything you own, and Limhi is like okay well that's better than dying so they agree to that then well I don't want to get ahead of myself um, uh, this tax gets so tough um, that they uh, they really start to want out of it and they they really don't like it but then there's the worst part so we know that the Jason do you want to take this this part okay no, he's shaking his head no but wait Andrew mentioned this earlier. So, this is another big oops, oops in the fact of a big misunderstanding, which turns into like a, dang, that's a very big thing to get wrong. Um, so, the priests of Noah are still out and about, and they find um, some Lamanite women bathing and singing um, in, the, in the water in the wilderness. And they steal them, or they kidnap them, and they take them home for in the wilderness. They don't really have a home. The Lamanites who have made this agreement with King Limhi get very angry and say, you stole our daughters, you stole our sisters, and and we're going to kill whoever did this. And they know Nephites did it, so they go back to the city where King Limhi is, and then they just start fighting. And King Limhi's people are like, what the heck? We just got bamboozled? You know, we're paying this tax and now they're attacking us? So his people go out to battle. They beat the Lamanites bad enough and they murder, not sorry, they don't murder, they wound, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts in this story, I'm trying to keep them all straight. They wound the king um, well enough that he can't leave and they capture the king of the Lamanites and they bring him back and they say, why did you attack us? We had an agreement, we were paying the tax. And the king, Laman, king of the Lamanites says, you stole our some of the women, the Lamanite women. And Lemai says, whoa, whoever did this, they're going to pay because That's not okay. And they go through, they can't find him. And uh, Gideon, the same Gideon who uh, almost slayed King Noah says, hey, I think I know what happened. And he talks about how, you know what? I bet the priests of Noah stole them away. And so it's this just big misunderstanding that led to a war and led to a lot of people dying because the Lamanites didn't. And so the Lamanites say, you know what? You were right. Um, We shouldn't have attacked you. We're sorry. And they leave. And, uh, which is a major, I don't know.
2: Major oops. Yeah. Major oops. Accidentally (laughs) just went to war and accidentally just killed a lot of people because there wasn't
0: communication, you know? Yeah. But, but the point that I want to make on, um, is, is after this is that the Lamanites eventually come back to war against the Nephites because they're, they're abusing them and persecuting so much. The Lamanites, the Nephites say, we can't do this enough. We can't do this anymore. So they ask King Limhi, this tax is too heavy. They persecute us too much. Can we go to war against them? And they say, yes, we'll, King Limhi says, yes, we'll go to war against them. And so they fight the Lamanites and the Lamanites beat them. Um, and they're driven back, and a lot of their men are killed. And the Lamanites now are like, okay, now you're really going to get it. And the persecution they put on the Nephites um, is so bad that this, this people, um, it says in 153, it says, they did humble themselves even to the dust, subjecting themselves to the yoke of bondage, submitting themselves to be smitten and to be driven to and fro and burdened according to the desires of their enemies. they did humble themselves even in the depths of humility they did cry mightily to god yea even all the day long did they cry unto god that he would deliver them out of their afflictions i don't know another part in the scriptures off the top of my head um, where it uses that word wording to describe the humility of the people um when they're basically just accept the lot they've been given that they're like yeah we're humbled to the dust to the point of dust like we we made it. So, all those scriptures that say, humble yourselves, uh, they made it to that point where they were just like, we are sick. Of- They're
2: forced into that yeah, point. exactly. The- <laughs>
0: yeah. And it only came because they yeah. uh, they were under bondage. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you would get to that point without bondage, um, because really, um, it's just an acceptance of the fact that we're going to be um, smitten, we're going to be burdened, and our enemies can do whatever they want to us. Because,
2: Well, in, in the Doctrine and Covenants, it, it talks a little bit about um, sin being the bondage that we're under. And so I wonder, um, and this is just, you know, just talk, I guess. Uh, but I wonder how much of um, of the issue for us is that we just don't see we're under bondage. You know, it, it, it says specifically um, – that the bondage we're under is sin and it's, it's as a blanket that covers the earth in darkness. And we just don't see that, you know, like we, we see signs of it in, in politics and and in, in things where there are shady people, you know, like, oh, don't go to that part of the city. You know, like you can see darkness in places, but we don't, Realize the the um, extent of of the bondage that we're under, or the darkness that's in our world, and I f- and I feel like, um, possibly, just throwing it out that this might not be the total answer to your question or anything because I don't think I have the answer, but um, maybe maybe what we need to s- to pray for is just for our eyes to be open to the bondage that we're under, to to the sin that we're subject to currently. I mean, because that's what humbled the people and and acknowledging the sin that you are in and a part of and that's over you should humble you, you know, because you're of the dust. So
0: have I talked about my time on the uh the lie detector test? No, uh, I don't think so.
2: Oh well, it might have been a while ago, but I I don't, I think, don't so.
0: think so. I don't know. Anyway, so I took the applied to a job at the Independence Police Department and one of the the things you have to go through is, um, you have to take a polygraph where they hook you up to the machine and you, you write down your answers to all these questions and all these questions are every bad thing you've ever done. Like basically like not even to the point of it's illegal, just like anything you probably don't want to talk about. So, uh, like drugs, anything to do with sex, anything to do with shady activities, just all this stuff is, and, um, So drugs are illegal, but like it, it'll ask you like, what drugs are you on? Have you ever like, I don't know. I don't need to get into specifics, but, um, really bad. Like do you use strong language? Like how many times, you know, stuff like this. And so I going into that thinking like, oh, I'm pretty squeaky clean. Like, um, and, um, and just writing everything down. Like I had to answer stuff. Um, and then they sat me in like this the the polygraph chair which measures like movement um when you're adjusting in your seat um they wrap something around your chest um two things around your chest and like one around your stomach and one around your upper chest they put a heart monitor on your finger um it's just like like closely watching the real deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and I know that polygraphs technically like they're not allowed in court cause they're not considered like concrete evidence and, and stuff. But, um, it's enough that you're like, okay, this is, yeah. Like you said, the real deal. And, um, I don't think I put much down on, on the stuff, but it was enough that when he started asking me the questions, I realized how much of the stuff like I had done in my life that I still like would answer for like sins basically that I would answer for um, every little thing, and it was stuff that I had blocked out um, that had that I had just let time take that I'd been like, okay, that's long enough ago that I don't care, um, and that doesn't hinder me anymore, so it's okay. But I really just hadn't repented of it, and even some of the stuff I had repented, but I knew that I had done it still, and it weighed on me, and um, it was just bad, it was brutal. And I like got home, and I think I did the polygraph at like 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. or whatever and I just laid in bed for the rest of the day because it was like draining because all I could think about was how bad of a, a like a person I was and I like sitting here now I, I don't feel like gosh not that I, I'm prideful in that sense but like I haven't done a lot <laughs> even good things I haven't done a lot I just don't do a lot of anything I stay in and play video games and sleep in but um but to the point where it's like, oh, man, there's a lot of stuff that can be held against me at that last day. Um, and I think that opened my eyes a little bit to like, oh, that's what I'm under. That same, that person who did all of those bad things 10 years ago that I still have to answer for today, that's me. Like, that is me. That is, you know, I don't know. I, it kind of opened my eyes to who I am and how high the bar is <laughs> that yeah, God set in terms of a perfect standard, it's like, oh yeah, that thing that happened twelve years ago, that still counts. Like it didn't just get erased because it's like been long enough or whatever. But um, it's only erased through repentance.
2: Jason uh, asked a question when we were driving down here, and I I really liked it. Um, coming from Matthew seven, talking to people talking to Jesus and saying, how do how do we know if we're gonna get into heaven? Or, I actually, I don't even remember if they asked him. And and he says, um, well, at the last day, there are going to be people that say, hey, I prophesied in your name. I, I did all this stuff. And uh, at that last day, I'm going to say, you never knew me. And And the question Jason asked was, do you think that their downfall was pleading their case to begin with? You know, like, is that inaccurate?
1: Just yeah, th- th- that's pretty much my exact words there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and I really liked that question, you know, because you you think their downfall is not doing those things with good intent, um, and and to some extent it is, but at that last day, you know, the real difference that's going to show the people that love God and the people that that don't is is going to be their 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 heart and and in that instance their heart is either going to say i deserve to be somewhere i i i don't deserve you know in yeah. the, in that pride or it's going to say i deserve whatever you right whatever you judge and that's when jesus steps in and says hey i know him or yeah. hey i know her you know and i really like that idea yeah. I think that fit in really well
0: with what yeah, you said. That's an interesting uh, take on the yeah question because that does make sense. That the people who didn't know Jesus would be the people that think they can save themselves. Yeah. Or that yeah uh, yeah say well we were tight because I mm-hmm. talked about you and never really were like okay my heart understands how bad I am so that's why I'm yeah need you yeah, yeah. I, f-
1: I feel like if you truly know God and Christ then when you're standing at the judgment seat and you're like just there, you would be like, man, I really need grace right now. So, um, could, could you just forgive me? Like, I, I feel like that's the answer there is, is you can't just plead your case because it, it wasn't even you doing those things. Like it, it's God working through you. Um, even like with the good things you're doing, the only thing that's truly yours is your sins. Like that's the only like we're we're incapable of producing good without some sort of help through Christ and grace and forgiveness through Christ. So yeah, I, I had been thinking about that for a while. Um and yeah,
0: and that those people are brought to a place where they're like, okay, there is nothing we can do now, God. So we're just gonna accept whatever thing the Lamanites give us, and we're just gonna hope that you have the power to to save us, and He does. <laughs> yep. But I but I like His response because it's
2: in one fifty five. It says He was slow to hear their cry because of their iniquities. Yep, you know He 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 made sure they learned the lesson. Mm-hmm. you know uh, he, he wasn't being unjust in in his decision, but he he knew if he let him off easy this time, next time they would just be like, oh God, sing us again yeah. you know <laughs> that half half-hearted cry for help and and that's not what he wants for us. so he <laughs> he, he let him learn the lesson I, I like that response
0: um and he does he does hear the response. he is slow to hear it. Um, but he hears it in the, the sense that he sends um, someone from the land of Zarahemla um, in King Mosiah II's party, um, or sent out, named Ammon. Now, this is not the same Ammon that you, the first Ammon you think of when you think of the Book of Mormon. This is a different Ammon. This is <laughs> Ammon from the land of Zarahemla, who is not the son of Mosiah. No hands. No. Yeah. He no didn't, arms. He didn't cut no off the arms. arms. He kept. All
1: arms. We All actually the, don't know that for sure, but <laughs> most likely he kept his arms and the arms around him. <laughs> most likely, he didn't cut them off.
0: But um, and so this is the first part of the fellowship of not the ring. I don't know what analogy you can make. Uh, the fellowship of the of Zarahemla um back into the fold, and so Ammon um and his brother meet the king Limhi on the outside of the gates. Now, if you remember. As a while ago in chapter five of Mosiah. um, We got the snapshot of this. And so Ammon and his brothers go out in the the land and they find King Limhi and King Limhi throws him in prison. And uh, King Limhi says, hey, who are you? And they identify themselves. And then he's like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I thought you were these guys. And the guys he said they were were the priests of Noah. Um, And so he lets them out and they talk and Ammon says, hey. You're under bondage. Let's get you to Zarahemla and, uh, and with King Mosiah, and he can, um, translate the plates that you have that you don't understand. It's a safe place. The people are righteous. They understand, um, the, the commandments God's given them. And so King Limai says, sounds good, but we can't get away from the Lamanites. And that's when Oceans 11 happens. <laughs> they break out. The opposite of Ocean. They don't. I don't know. I didn't really... I've only seen Options <laughs> 11 once. Uh, Mission Impossible. <laughs> Mission Impossible. Yeah. Something. Prison <laughs> Break. <laughs> Which uh, starts in Chapter 10. <laughs> <was> that show? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. Is the that the one where they break, break out break of prison? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Chapter 10, Ammon is talking with um, King Limahai, and I really... There's not... This chapter is really short. It's a short chapter because all it is is their escape. Um, but I found this interesting is that... Mm-hmm. Um, They say, okay, we need to do this. We need to get out from this, this oppressive, persecutive uh, regime in the Lamanites. And they call all the people together in the city. And they do this that they might hear the voice of the people concerning the matter. And so the leaders are working with the regular citizens and the citizens are talking directly with the leaders and saying, here's our best course of action. Uh, Gideon shows up and Gideon's the real hero of this whole Thing. He's a cool guy. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's all throughout this book of Mosiah. Um, and, um, and he suggests that the people get out through the back gate um, that the Lamanites guard. And the Lamanites get really drunk every night and uh, they pass out. And so, King Limhi hears Gideon's suggestion. He says, okay. So, they give the Lamanites not just the normal tax of wine, but they give them even more. And so, the Lamanites get super drunk, the guards do. At night, they fall asleep. They're dead. Not literally, but like. Passed out. Yeah, passed out. Passed out. And all the people with their flocks and their wives and their children um, go out the back gate. And then they head to um, the land of Zarahemla. And um, the, the Lamanites, when they find out. Um, they're gone, are pretty mad. Um, But they look for them. They track them for two days and then they can't find them. They are lost in the wilderness. So that's the beginning of the people starting to come back from, that's the first group. So there's three groups, um, Limhi, Alma and his people, and the priests of Noah. Um, We know the priests of Noah are bad. They'll never end up back in Zarahemla. But the first group um, is back into the land of King uh, Mosiah II's um, land and uh, they're with him now. So, do you guys have anything you want to add on King Limhi? I was just trying to sum up the story because I don't want to leave people um, unaware of what was going on. I just really like that they called all the people together. It was like an, a business meeting, the first church business meeting where they said, all right, what are we going to do? You know? Yeah,
2: it seemed like he, he was a lot just more intelligent or... Um, uh, I don't know, a more emotionally intelligent than his father. <laughs> because at this point, he's like, yeah, let's come to a conclusion together. And and you never would have heard Noah say that. I mean, like, he was listening to bad guys. Maybe that was the difference. But I don't know. Uh, it, I like seeing the difference between them and the, their leadership styles.
0: Yes. Maybe he was scared to get burned at the stake. <laughs> yeah, like his maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. That concludes chapters 9 and 10. Um, We'll pick up 11 is a big one um, tomorrow, but we want to thank you for joining us. Um, God bless. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, five-star ratings you want to give, please leave those wherever. Thank you.